On R2C2, CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing, and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel. America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies' splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. To a Monday edition, late Sunday, early Monday. Who knows when you're listening to this right about now? I think you know who this is. This is JJ John Jastrzemski. We're right here with New York, New York, of course, on the Ringer Podcast Network. And to think, I thought we'd be going into the All-Star break from a Yankee standpoint and a Mets standpoint with all sorts of good vibes. But my goodness, Sunday was the definition of a bloody, bloody Sunday. For both of these New York baseball teams. Oh, what sickening, sickening, sickening losses for both the Yankees and the New York Mets. And obviously both teams are in two very, very different situations because of where they are in their division and the way the first couple of months have gone and on and on we go. But from a Yankee standpoint, and if you listen to our Spotify green room last night, which was fantastic, it was electric. I was in a really good mood. I was riding the high of Friday night's win with Nesta Cortez, the 129-pitch complete game shutout effort from Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole shoving in the ninth inning, yelling at Aaron Boone to go back in the dugout. I was amped from a positive standpoint. Probably the most I've been all season long. I wanted a sweep today. I would have accepted a loss. I am not accepting a loss like that. No way, no how. When you have a five-run lead in the bottom half of the ninth inning, you have to win that game. The Yankees now have had three games over the last two weeks that have been the definition of meltdown. Meltdown against the Angels. I was there. Chapman yucked it up. Meltdown against the Mets. Don't forget about that one. Sunday in the first game of the doubleheader. Instead of the Yankees riding high into the All-Star break, 5-1 and road trip, 
sweep over the best team in the American League. All of these good vibes going into the Boston series next week. And then the pivotal one at Fenway Park the following week. You yuck up a five-run lead? Can't have it. Not in the predicament that the Yankees are in. I've talked about it over and over again. We said it on Thursday. This team cannot sweep anybody. Whether it's laying down and dying like dogs the way they did Thursday afternoon against the Mariners, or this particular game where first it's Herman, then it's Chad Green, they yuck it up. Tough to kill Green. He's been lights out. He's taken this closer's role by storm. But it speaks to the lack of confidence the Yankees currently have in a role this Chapman and where we are at in Saturday's game where Cole's got to go 129 pitches. I absolutely loved it, but he had to go 129 pitches because you don't trust Chapman. And Sunday, Aaron Boone wanted no part of putting a role this Chapman in the game. Now, you can make the argument. You got Litke up. Green clearly has no feel, looks spent, looks burnt. Take him out of the game. I'm not making today's game about Aaron Boone. I, I, I'm not. And listen, we have been very critical of this Yankee manager. I think you folks know where I stand come off season time. What I want the Yankees to do as far as that leadership position goes. But you got a five-run lead in the ninth inning. You have to go and win the game. And listen to this. You want to feel sick. You want to be disgusted if you're a Yankee fan. Listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to this. Major League Baseball teams are 4.93 and 2 when leading by four plus runs entering the ninth inning of a game this season. 4.93 and 2. You know who's the team that has two losses? The New York Yankees. Disgusting. Those good vibes, that positive energy, that positive juju. Gone. Sorry. Four and two feels hollow this week. It feels hollow. And for Altuve to be the guy to do it in the bottom half of the ninth inning against Green puts a knot in my stomach. And this brings me back to Saturday night. So Aaron Judge hits what ends up being a game-winning home run, and he's trolling the Astros. I, for one, liked it. I had no problem with it. I said so if you listen to Spotify Green Room yesterday. Here's my issue. Aaron Judge, after the game, kind of downplays it. Own it, bro. Own it. Be like, yeah, we were trolling him a little bit. We're having some fun at their expense. You don't have to be all PC if you're going to actually play it out on the field. So then the Yankees do the same thing with Sanchez in the ninth inning. Maldonado is basically trying to counter. But when Altuve hits the home run, you notice what he did? Ripped the damn shirt off. Ultimate troll job. And what bothers me from a Yankee standpoint It seems like any time this team wants to start talking shit, it blows up in their face. The Red Sox, New York, New York a couple of years ago, which I didn't have a problem with. I have a problem when you talk the shit and you don't back it up after the fact. Same could be said for Saturday and the turnaround on Sunday. That drives me insane. You're going to talk it. You got to walk it. And for a Yankee team that has not done a whole lot of walking so far this year, it does not sit well with me. Sorry, does not sit well with me. Golden opportunity squandered today. Golden. 
Red Sox lose. Tampa Bay loses. This should have been about the narrative of have the Yankees turned their season around. Even though the Boston games are going to make or break whatever is to happen here in 2021, you should have felt good about the baseball team for the first time in a long time. I can't say that after blowing a five-run lead. Before we get to the Mets, who also yucked up a five-run lead, did so in a much different way. Yankee call right out of the gate. Yeah, let's hit a Yankee call right out of the gate. Let's go. JJ, it's Anthony and Syosset. Just fucking forget my other two voicemails. Forget my fucking voicemail about Cole. Forget my fucking voicemail about the huddle. Forget my fucking voicemail about telling the fucking analytics people to go fuck themselves. Forget it all. Because these motherfuckers couldn't even give us 24 hours to feel good about that fucking win. This fucking coach, this fucking bullpen, these gutless pieces of fucking shit. And then to top it all off, it's that little rat, fuck Altuve. That piece of fucking shit. Fuck him. Fuck this team. Fuck this bullpen. I fucking had it, dude. This fucking sums up the season. They don't even give you fucking 24 hours to feel good about that win. You have the fucking all-star break now. You could have got into it on a fucking high, sweeping the Astros. Instead, you give up six fucking runs in the ninth inning. I've had it. I have fucking had it. Fuck them. Fuck Boone. Fuck Tasman. I'm done. I'm done. Fuck them all. That has got to be the most profane but yet the most passionate call I think we've gotten in the history of New York, New York. Now, Anthony is taking it to another level. He's a thousand percent right, though, about how Saturday's game and the masterful performance of Garrett Cole, which was an all-time regular season start, should have been your lasting image of this weekend. And when you got a five-run lead in the ninth inning, you should be sweeping the Astros, going wherever you're going, and getting ready for the second half of the year. That feels drastically different. And you know what? If the Yankees were five or six games up in first place, you could live with a game like this. You cannot live with a game like this when the Yankees are seven, eight, nine games out of first place and four and a half games out of a wild card spot. You can't live with it. It is not okay. It is not acceptable. You can't keep having meltdowns to this level. Teams find ways to lose games. Teams find ways to win games. The Yankees have done a whole lot of finding ways to lose. Am I right or am I wrong? So I understand that passion coming from our buddy Anthony and Sayasid. I really do. Now, the Mets fan didn't have it any better on Sunday. A little different considering where they're at in the National League East. The Mets are playing one of the worst teams in baseball. The Pittsburgh Pirates are openly not trying in 2021 with the payroll and the roster and the team they have put together. All right, you split a doubleheader on Saturday. I can accept that. Seven inning games, weird. All right, no big deal. You got a five-run lead against that team. You can't lose. And to me, the narrative and the takeaway that's going to bother you for no end if you're a Mets fan, what is Louis Rojas doing pushing the envelope and pushing the limit with a guy like Miguel Castro, who you really should not trust in those sort of crazy high-leverage situations. He goes to Drew Smith after trying to push Diaz. Diaz works out of Castro's mess in the eighth inning, 
And in the ninth inning, doesn't do the job. I'm not going to defend Diaz. That's unacceptable from Diaz. If he's out there, he's got to get the results. I'm not going to give Edwin Diaz a pass. I'm not going to do that. But why is Smith not coming in earlier for Castro? And that way, Diaz can go and pitch the ninth inning. I did not understand the bullpen management for the life of me. Now, I know what a lot of the narratives are going to be with Diaz, and I agree with them, that in a big game and in a pressurized situation, you're not going to have the utmost confidence in him. I agree with that. There's really nothing Edwin Diaz can do that's going to have me feeling really good in a one or two run game in September, in October, whatever, that he's going to be able to get the job done. Because he's walking that tightrope. It feels like over and over and over again, he's walking that tightrope. You got a 5 nothing lead against the Pirates. That's a game you got to bring home. Now, the Yankee loss is worse. For anybody who's wondering, who had a worse Sunday? It's the Yankees by a mile. Because of where they're at and the predicament that they're in. The Mets still, even after a lousy weekend, and it was a lousy weekend for the Mets, splitting a four-game series with that terrible Pirate team is no bueno. Look at where they're at in the National League East. And I keep coming back to this question. Who is challenging the Mets in this division? The Braves or Cook? It's unfortunate what happened to Ronald Acuna over the weekend. It's unfortunate for my fantasy team. Blew out his knee. Gruesome, scary, tough injury to watch. Braves are not competing without Ronald Acuna. You serious? The Phillies right now are in second place. The Phillies, to me, unless they drastically improve their team at the trade deadline, are way too top-heavy and incredibly flawed. Way too top-heavy. Then you have the Nationals. All right, the Nationals have been spunky. They don't have Kyle Schwarber. They don't score a whole lot of runs. And you got to figure the Mets offensively are going to be way better in the second half of this year. And maybe Conforto hitting a home run is the start of his turnaround with how insanely streaky he can be. Mets are going to win this division. You don't want it to be a nail-biter, though. And if you have series like this, and you have weekends like this, it is going to allow, potentially, one of those teams, take your pick, in the woeful and L East, that's going to dream about winning a division and stealing it from the Mets. You don't want it to get to that point. Bad weekend of baseball. Bad, bad, bad weekend of baseball for the Mets. But overall, you'll take the first half. The Yankees, on the other hand, you're disgusted with the first half. And that's why golden opportunities that are squandered, that are thrown away, like the Angels game last week, the Mets game on Sunday, and now this on Sunday is unacceptable. Not where they're at in the American League East and in the wildcard race. But buckle up. Four with the Red Sox. You want to talk about make or break time? Red Sox, Phillies, Red Sox, race. Then you'll know what we're looking at for August and September with this 2021 Yankee team. I can't wait to welcome in the great Joel Sherman, one of the best baseball columnists in America. I grew up going to Petrides High School, for those of you who know it, on Staten Island, New York. And I used to be late to class all the time because I would always get the iced coffee and I would pick up the New York Post circa 04, 05. I'd be coming into class, had the paper, maybe wasn't paying attention during calculus. My math skills are not the best. And I was reading this guy's columns. Love his perspective. We'll wrap up the Yankee and Met first halves and talk about the trade deadline that's coming up within the next couple of weeks. We got game three of the NBA finals to discuss. 
And I expect that the voicemails after what happened this weekend are going to be rather interesting. Joel Sherman is up next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. First half, Major League season now in the books. Brutal way for it to end for both the Yankees and the Mets, my goodness. But let's head out to Colorado. I grew up reading this guy, taking the bus, the 62 to Petrini School back in Staten Island, New York. Now I read him in a much different way. iPad, Twitter, all that good stuff. But the column is better than ever. New York Post, MLB Network, the great Joel Sherman. What's happening, Joel? John, I'm doing well. Thanks for the nice introduction. I'm a, I, I feel old now, so I won't tell you who I was reading when I was riding the subways to, uh, to and from places when I was a kid. So, Well, I'm not trying to make you feel old because, <laughs> listen, now I talk to like 19 and 20-year-olds and I'm in the same position. So I guess in many ways, Joel, it comes full circle. First things first, for you, being at an all-star weekend after everything we've gone through over the last year, year and a half, I know it's not 100% normal. I know you guys and gals aren't getting the same access you once did, but is it therapeutic? All-Star Weekend and you're back on the road? It was therapeutic until they found a stash of weapons in somebody's uh, hotel room yesterday that was close to the stadium. Uh, I guess they're saying that these people weren't here to cause trouble, but I always wonder what thousands of rounds of ammunition is doing in somebody's hotel room if they're not. Um, this is a city that does have a ramp up of this uh, Delta variant of the uh, of the virus. So there is some concerns out there if you're here, but it's the all-star game. And at some point you have to come and play. This is actually the first time I've been on the road since March of 2020. Uh, I thought that this would be a good demarcation point to kind of get back out and do my job, not just uh, sitting in my, in my apartment or going to the ballpark, which I did last year and this year, but go out. But, but even today, John, just to give you an idea. The futures game is today. And this is usually a great event for someone like me, not because you get to see the young players, you know, Jason Dominguez played and uh, Brett Batty and uh, uh, the Alvarez kid, the catcher, a few New York players, you know, you get to eyeball uh, those guys. But this is usually a big event for scouts to be at, to see these kids. And I don't know if it's COVID and a lot of people have lost their job. I don't know if it's because the draft is tonight and maybe people are back in their war rooms. But uh, it was down to about, I'd say, 20% of the number of scouts 
that are usually at this event. That being said, it was nice to sit with them and uh, talk about their players and what they think is coming between now and the uh, July 30 trade deadline. So I guess it was a very long-winded way of saying it's not normal, it's not natural, and it's not even comfortable, but it's appreciated that we've gotten to this point because of vaccines, everyone go get one, uh, that we, uh, we could try this again. Futures game, I'm curious, because you've been covering a long, long time. Who's the guy for you when you watch the Futures game, he wowed you. You're like, holy smokes, can't miss. And that like sort of initial reaction has kind of paid off as you've watched his major league career. Is there one that stands out? So, John, I think it's a good question, but I'll answer this. I hope you understand. It's a little bit. I try. I watch spring training and I watch the Futures game. But I don't watch it and try to make too many judgments. Like today, I get that. Uh, the, the, the Brett Batty kid had the scout, he wowed the scouts with his BP, uh, the Mets third base prospect. And then at the end of the day, you say it's BP. And I appreciate that, you know, the scouts could see the bat speed and the power, but we know what happens as guys graduate up the line. You know, there's probably a point you're talking about when you were younger. This might even be before you. You know, I covered Ruben Rivera as a prospect. I remember Ruben Rivera, unfortunately, for way too many other reasons beside him being a top prospect. But yes, I do remember Ruben. And and Brian Taylor and people like that. When I was a beat writer in the late 80s and early 90s, these were big prospects. So I try not to get enamored with stuff that doesn't count because the major leagues is such a big step up. And uh, you're seeing guys at various levels, like the Dominguez kid is coming from the Gulf Coast League or whatever the league is called now that MLB controls it. And, you know, just to be here, you know, take a deep breath. He hit a ball hard. He did hit a ball hard in the game. But just to be here is something for him. And he's got a long way to go. So I try not to overstate or overrate anything that happens in spring training or the futures game. First half for the Yankees, bitter disappointment. It looks like they're going to have this great pick-me-up going into the weekend. I know you are at the Futures game, so you didn't witness the ninth inning meltdown. You were lucky oh, I, in that. I, I, I was watching it on my computer. Oh, there you go. You're a man of multi-talents. What can mm-hmm. I tell you? So I watched, I watched the Mets meltdown earlier in the day. There you and go. I uh, Joel, in. just because we had you on the show today, I guess it just had to be a day of meltdowns for both New York teams. But I'm thinking, you know, cold start Saturday, 129 pitches, throwback, so much fun. You have a five-run lead. You flush it down the toilet. Good week feels just soiled. It feels ruined in many ways. But the Yankees stretch, eight against Boston, three against Tampa. Is that going to determine how Brian Cashman and the Yankees handle the trade deadline? Or do you get the sense they're pot committed, they're in on this year, nothing is changing their mentality one way or another? What are you hearing within the Yankees at this point? I like that you went for the poker terminology there. I wish uh, I could tell you I'm a good poker player. Yeah. I mean, that, the problem is, Joel, people read my emotions too good. And yeah. Not like you, where you can, you know, keep it keep it on the wraps, you know? So I think the Yankees very much want to go for it. And even with the loss today, they're about three, three and a half games out of the second wild card. I know that's not what they were aiming for when the season began. You know, you know, things are such perspective driven, so perspective driven, JJ, you know, as the Yankees are winning that game and looking like they have it in hand, I just took a look at the records. The Yankees win the game. They have the same number of wins as the Mets. And, you know, by dint of which division you're in, you know, one team is thought of as having a very successful season to this point. 
And one team is thought of as not having a successful season. And I'm not here to sugarcoat it. The Yankees are not having a successful season. And I think it's worrisome short and long-term what's going on with them with their season. But I think that the second wild card at least will play close enough for them. They're committed enough. I think one of the interesting questions between in the next 20-ish days, John, is are the Yankees committed enough to go, go over the luxury tax? Uh, my suspicion is they won't. They'll play games. They'll try to stay under. Maybe they'll give some more prospects to see if somebody will eat some money. I think it's a huge mistake. I thought it was a huge mistake to begin the season. They're the Yankees. I'll take them at their word that they lost more money during the pandemic than anyone else. If I take them at their word for that, John, then I take them at their word that they were making more money before we had uh, a pandemic and that they'll be making more money again once we're back to something closer to normal. So I don't think that they should back down now. If there's something they could go get that would change their arc enough to believe that they can win, they should do it. With that said, I think they should only do that for somebody who plays beyond this year. Because I think this team, there's a Bill Parcells saying that I love. I won't get it exactly, JJ, but it's when a player shows you who they are, believe it. And the Yankees have spent about 90 games telling us who they are right now. And maybe they have a great 70 games coming up. I would think that's not likely to happen. I encourage people who are fans or not fans of the team, strip the name from the player, strip the salary from the player, strip your preconceptions of the players, watch the Yankees and tell me after 90 games, what phase of the game do they, are they excellent at? Can't find one. Right. Can't find one. And Joel, how about the 60 games they played last year? And I get it. Weird year, pandemic year, but that's 60 now tacking on 90. So it's no longer one of these sample sizes where I say, Oh, it's not a whole lot to work with. They were not a good team last year. They were lucky the playoffs were what they were. Well, they're probably on the outside looking in. Yeah. So, so I mean, I watched the team enough, JJ, that I'm like, I'm forget the names, forget the salaries. What are they doing well? Because, because you have to do things well to win 12 out of 15. Like, hey, we really relied on our starting pitcher and we ran off 12 out of 15, or our bats came alive to the point where we just brutalized a bunch of teams, or our bullpen is so deep and strong that we were able to do that, or we used our speed or our defense. The, the Yankees are downright bad at some of this stuff. Their team speed, their team athleticism, their team defense. They are okay to maybe a little better than okay in the rotation because they have Cole and Tyon has shown some signs of maybe coming on. Their bullpen has some good pieces, but is really depth challenge, especially until they get Britain back and maybe O'Day and maybe not even then if Chapman isn't going to straighten out. And that was a pretty large statement today not to use him in this game in any way. I understood not using him with the, in the Cole game. So I just look at it and I'm like, what do they do well enough that you believe they'll run off 12 or 15 and they'll be 8 to 10 over 500 and comfortably in that position for the last month and a half sprint to be playing for at least wild card, if not more. Bigger problem for the Yankees, in your opinion, the lack of athleticism that you see in the field and on the bases or the lack of lefty bats. And I get the analytics, Joel, and the idea that over 162 righties are going to hit it out the other way and they're going to get their numbers. But we've seen it. Glass now, Morton, Avaldi, these guys mow against this Yankee lineup. And to me, the lack of balance absolutely kills them, especially at Yankee Stadium. 
You watch them every day. What's their bigger problem? So, uh, JJ, I would say this. The Yankees are either completely full of it or some level of stupid because Aaron Boone has spent a couple of years as manager when he deploys his bullpen, talking about finding lanes that he wants to use specific relievers, their strengths against a weakness of an opposing team. Certainly think of the previous two seasons before this, the heavily right-handed part of a lineup where Adam Adovino could attack that part of a lineup, for example. Well, that is your theory analytically as a baseball team, how you want to play run prevention. Why wouldn't you think that you've created one nine-man lane for an opposing team to bring in its big righty reliever or start its righties? Your whole lineup is right-handed, and I get it. The Yankee, most of the Yankee right-handers have power to right field, but I speak to the other teams, their front office, pitching coaches, et cetera. They're happy. to. The Yankees are easy to game plan for. Having said that, I think it's part of a larger issue. I wrote about it a little earlier in the week, John, which is the Yankees have won their trades. They have won their player acquisitions, right? Luke Voigt, Gallegos, you would take Voigt. Gio Oshella for $25,000, you know, Stanton for not much, turning Chapman into Torres and then signing Chapman again, you know, Clint Frazier for Andrew Miller. Obviously it's a bad look this season, but at the moment it's like sticking with Gary Sanchez and believing it will turn around like each move individually, you would say that's a winning move, but the job of the front office is not to buy paint, but to make a painting and their paint is good. But what they're putting on the canvas is all right-handed. It's non-athletic. It's baseball IQ challenge. It's defense challenge. They've won these individual moves that they can stand on and say, look, this was a good move. We got the better player. And I feel like they've lacked the deep breath moment to say, maybe we should lose a move by a little, but get somebody who fits here better. And I think that would cover all the stuff you talked about because you're hitting it, John. It's There's not enough left-handed. There's not enough athleticism. There's not enough defense. There's not enough baseball IQ. They didn't value these things as they're winning the individual trade. Their front office, like you you could crap on their analytics, have won the deals, but they've lost the big picture. You know, I hear this a lot. Modern-day baseball, a lot of these front offices try to make the argument a manager doesn't matter. But then I watch the Red Sox, Joel. They were an embarrassment last year. They were a team that's lost at sea. And I know they've been much better pitching this year. I get that. They bring in Adovino. Whitlock's been good. Pavetta's been incredible. But that team has taken on the personality of its manager. It's obvious. You watch the Red Sox play. To me, Alex Cora is one of the few managers in baseball that really makes a major, major difference. You still believe in this day and age a manager can matter? Oh, absolutely. As much as ever, because people could talk about what the analytics brings down But this is never going to stop being a human game. And I think Cora, Council, Cash, Melvin, managers like this, they have great feel for their teams. And I always think the best managing or coaching in any sport is the art of doing what your opposition hopes you don't do. Right? Like like last night when Boone walked out to the mound, Why is he walking out to mount? The Astros are hoping Chapman comes in that game. Like you have to have, Buck Showalter used to have a a saying, 
The art of managing is, is having your head hit the pillow and sleep come at night. That meant that the decision you make, you're fine with. Like, however, it turns out sometimes you make great decisions and they don't work out well. If Cole gives it up last night, he gives it up. Nobody's going to kill him for it either, too. And, 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 but it shouldn't be about if you and I kill him, JJ. It should be about what's the right decision. And the right decision is always what is the other team hoping I do or don't do? That other team is praying he brings Chapman into the game. And until Cole yells at him, he's going to do it. I'll give you two other instances, and I think it will contrast to Cora, who has the other thing I think managers do have is feel in real time for the game. They are feeling the game. Whatever their theory of the, the product was before the whistle blew or the first pitch is thrown, they feel the game. Oh, this isn't going as we scripted it. What do I do? If you watched the game last night, I believe it's the fifth inning. Castro is on first base with one out. In the ninth inning, Brett Gardner is on first base with one out. It is a one-nothing game in both of those situations. LaCastro and Gardner's basic skill is they're fast. They're like the only two fast guys on the team. If you're not going to attempt a stolen base in a one-nothing game in the fifth inning, and certainly in the ninth inning, Gardner eventually, it's two outs and LaCastro's up. I know LaCastro hit a home run today, but he's at best going to hit a single. So Gardner has to get to second base so he could score not on, on two hits, but on one. And if he gets thrown out, he gets thrown out. So what's the big deal? Look, Castro with his 130 average doesn't bat. When you don't have the feel for the game in those situations to say, we're running, even though we're not a running team, I would ask this question. Why are LaCastro and Gardner even on the team then? Just go get two more hairy monsters if you're ne- and, and just hope you hit more home runs. Because I think there's this utter lack of the money. It's a one nothing game. The next run, either way, is if it gets to 1-1, you probably lose. If it gets to 2-0, you win. The next run is the game. Now, we never got that next run, but the Yankees did nothing to press for that next run. And the only two players who could steal a base on their team were on base in base-stealing situations and didn't go. I think Aaron Boone doesn't have a feel in that moment, and I think Cora has nothing but feel in those moments when aggression is needed. Mets have a new owner. We know they were big players in the offseason when Dora gets the big contract. They were in on Trevor Bauer. Do you get the sense, Joel, over the next couple weeks? They got a big move up their sleeve, or did they do their uh, big shopping come the wintertime? What was the uh, poker term you used? All in. Pot committed. So I think they're pot committed. I think they're pot committed for a variety of reasons, JJ. One, there's always new owner syndrome especially a new owner who has money and like they're another team. Like what are they dancing around the luxury tax for? First of all, the CBA expires at the end of this season. We don't even know if there's going to be a luxury luxury tax tax or whatever the levels are going to be and trying to stay under a number that might not matter at all. Second of all, the difference between a $200 million payroll and a $300 million payroll for Steve Cohn is a, some decibel point that doesn't matter to him. Some change he could find in the couch. So, Playing around with money is just about making the other owners feel comfortable with you. So I think that that, that for that reason, they're in. How many more seasons can they think that Jacob deGrom is going to be the best pitcher in the world? They've already wasted about three of those seasons where he is the kind of guy like every team would sit and say, what's the one thing I don't want to see in game one of a playoff series? Jacob Jacob deGrom. Bingo. So the Mets have not capitalized on that in the way that the Angels haven't capitalized on Trout. 
right? By not making the playoffs. The Mets have missed the playoffs when unquestionably they've had what would be the greatest force in October with DeGrom. How many more of those seasons are you going to have? You know you're having one this year. Third, I don't, it feels to me the Dodgers and Padres have a better, better overall team than the Mets, but not by leaps and bounds. If say like Bellinger and Seager are never going to play great for Los Angeles this year. And San Diego is going to deal with a number of pitching injuries they dealt with. The Mets could win this year. They have a layup division. Some, I, I, I keep saying this, JJ, the NL East is going to be about regret. It is either going to be met regret that they didn't capitalize on this weakness with everyone else and they kept all these teams in it by blowing 5 nothing leads to the Pirates and not having enough offense most of the first half. Or it's going to be the regret of all these other teams that are going to be like when the Mets struggled offensively and had a ton of injuries, they couldn't figure out how to get past them because the Mets have held the lead for about two months now. The Mets can win. They have enough minor league depth, not a ton, but enough to make trades. And I think that they will use their finances to be a difference maker at the deadline. I'm not suggesting that this is a trade. I am not suggesting. I'm just giving it to you as an example. Okay. If you are willing to take on Josh Donaldson's money beyond this year, which is two more years at pretty big money, how much do you have to give up if I then said, well, what is, what is that plus Jose Barrios? In other words, if I'm ready to allow you to have this great financial burden lifted in 2022, 2023, can I give you good but not great prospects for that combination of players? Because I know fans will hear Donaldson's name, but I bet you if we had the Twins officials on sodium pentothal here, they would tell you they view it more as albatross than as great contract. The Mets can go ahead and essentially say, we'll take the whole thing. Because one thing Steve Cohn said, JJ, and you sh- is he said, there's no sense in going over the luxury tax by a little, right? If you're going to go under it by a little, you might as well stay under Blow and get open. the benefits. Yeah. So like, like, I don't think they're, it's 210 million. I don't think they're going to 210.5 million. I think they're going to 220, 225, 230 if they're going over it. And so I think they could use their financial might to say, If we solve your problem here, what else will you give us? Think of it a little bit like the reverse of the Adam Adovino trade the Yankees made. The Yankees gave the Red Sox a prospect to get Adovino's $9 million off their payroll so they could go over the stupid, under the stupid luxury tax, right? The Mets can kind of save another team that has having some financial problems during the pandemic by saying, you know, that bad contract, we'll take it, but we got to get the player we want for less than you would normally pay. I think that that's what they are more uniquely in position to do between now and July 30th than any of the other 29 teams in the sport. Are the Cubs the most fascinating team for you to watch over the next two weeks? They're fascinating, but they're going to do exactly what they wanted to do. You know how we know that? You don't they traded you Darvish. Bingo. Once you trade you Darvish, you're telling us you're not in. You're not in because today, if they wanted to fix the team, they would have to trade for you Darvish, right? So merely by that act, they were telling us what they wanted to do, and I think they they will do that. They will try to take the deep breath and say 2015 to 2020 is one of the best five, six year periods in the history of the Cubs. It includes the first championship in what, 108 years was it? And now what can we do to shorten ourselves to our next run of five to eight years? 
That would be to rebuild a farm system that doesn't look very good from outsiders by using Kimbrell, Bryant, maybe Rizzo, maybe Zach Davies. Because uh, this is one thing to keep in mind for this trade deadline. It could end up including Berrios. I'm not positive that's going to happen. If it doesn't, I'm not sure you're going to see a really difference-making starting pitcher move. I don't think Colorado trades Marquez. I don't think Cincinnati trades Castillo. I don't think Washington trades Scherzer. I don't think Miami trades Pablo Lopez. If you start looking around then and saying, well, who has starting pitchers to trade that would start game one or two or even three of a playoff series? It's not there. So I think what you'll see is teams try to deepen rotations, Andrew Heaney, Zach Davies, and then say, can I get, can I trade with the Angels for Andrew Heaney and Raycel Iglesias, who's a really a difference-making relief pitcher? He's very good. Can I trade with the Cubs for Zach Davies and Greg Kimbrough? Can I cover more innings with my pitching staff? Because I can't get it with the starting pitcher. I'm going to get a starting pitcher who can pitch in the third or fourth spot but I'm going to get a relief pitcher who can pitch in the last six outs of the game. Final one. I'm tying it back full circle, Joel, because I think about those 0-3-0-4 battles with the Yankees and the Red Sox, and it didn't matter if you were writing in April, July, September, October. Every game had this sort of game seven type of feel to it. The afternoon playoff games, the epic ALCSs, I think it's my favorite time. Maybe not 2004. I'm trying to like block that out of my memory, quite frankly. But just that era, those two teams, those two characters, those storylines. Is that your favorite time covering baseball here in town? It was certainly great. And, you know, ultimately, I really don't care who wins these. I grew up a Cincinnati Red fan because I love Pete Rose. You want good storylines. I get I, that. I, yeah. I want short games with interesting storylines. Go on with the short games these days. Sorry, yeah. Joel. Even with yeah. Cole on the mound, you get that. Sorry, yeah. bud. So, but, but those were, as you said, even the April games, the June games, uh, is Jeter jumping into the stands. That's like a July game, right? Like the beginning of July, Garcia Parra's on the bench. It leads to his trade. Like, those were great. The only thing that made it not great. Wasn't that the Red Sox won, but that game seven that year was such a lousy game. It was done. It was over in the uh, second inning. Yeah. As opposed to, so like, like even though the Red Sox came back and there was this great drama, I wish that game seven had had it. And the other thing by the Red Sox winning is it removed the element that made the series great, which was the Yankees were great at the goal line stand. They were, you know, Lucy taking the ball away from Charlie Brown and not letting the Red Sox Kick, kick a field goal. And once that was removed where the Red Sox won and quite frankly have been a better organization than them for the last two decades, the rivalry, you're almost like faking the rivalry. Oh, they hate each other, but they hated each other for a very specific reason. And I don't think you could ever go back home again. Like we'll never be able to recreate it because the thing that created it is Ruth went to the Yankees and from that point until game seven of 2004, the Yankees dominated the Red Sox as far as championships were concerned. And once you remove that element, now it's usually just two good teams playing and everybody trying to fake like, oh, they hate each other. Nope. In 2003, 2004, they hated each other. I mean, hated each other. Now it's it's like, you know, first of all, I think the Yankees are fake got fake tough guys. You I know, agree like, with that. Like, like we get all of it. It's, it's, by the way, judge should stop. It's judge playing New York, New York. 
Anytime of, Judge does one of these troll jobs, yeah. they, they end up losing the following day. It's, it's, it's like, between it's the like boombox and now yeah. Saturday. Give me a break. It's it's like a bad WWE uh, manager. He's eventually going to get his comeuppance uh, at some point. Yeah, you know, it's the boombox. It's it's the shirt thing yesterday and then lying to reporters that it was, you know, if you're going to do it, own it at least. And then Altuve walks him off today and the shirt comes off. You know, I think like I, I think the Yankees are bullies. I, I think about it like with Chapman, when his stuff is electric, you know, you get the pose and you get everything. He's staring everybody but, down. Absolutely. But when it's but when it's a something a little less, he it, he becomes not only hittable, but fallible where you see it's a pose. And, you know, I don't think the uh, the Rays stand up to the Yankees. And it drives the Yankees crazy. It's part of the dynamic of why the Rays beat them is the Yankees feel like, well, we showed up. You're supposed to like, we're the dignitaries here. And the Rays are like, uh-uh, we're playing you the 27 outs. Prove to us you're a better team for 27 outs. Really do it. And I think they have, I think the Yankees have trouble with 27 outs. I think they have trouble getting it, getting them well. I think they have trouble maximizing it offensively. And I think even temperamentally now, they lack some edge, real edge, not fake whistling in the graveyard edge. And uh, I don't know that that's easy to find. I could find you that left-hand hitter you talked about earlier. I could find you athletes. I could find you defenders. But it's hard to know chemistry-wise the people who bring you real edge. By the way, if the Mets ended up with Josh Donaldson, they'd end up with a player There's with There's a guy with edge. There's a yeah. guy who's got some badass in him. And it makes you really put into perspective what those 90s teams did. I mean, my goodness, Joel. And that's what you were hearing in 17. This is the 90s reincarnated. Tough to reincarnate Jeter, Williams, O'Neal, Martinez, Cone, Pettit, Rivera. Just saying. Very tough yeah. to tell. Yeah, look, I, I wrote a book uh, 10 years after the 96 Yankees, uh, and I treated it, it called Birth of a Dynasty to kind of like, I used the chronology of the 96 season to explain how did they become a dynasty? And I treated it like an architecture book. And I went soup to nuts, how they got each of those guys. I recreated the Jeter draft. I recreated the Sandy Field in Panama, where they found Mariano Rivera when they were looking for somebody else. Uh, you know, and all these things, they got turned down by eight starting pitchers before Jimmy Key said yes, they in a free agent class. Like if John Smiley or Pete Shurik had said yes to them, do they win a World Series? Like they got Jimmy Key. He helped them change the attitude of the team. That offseason when they got Paul O'Neill and Jimmy Key, they were trying to get Greg Maddox and Barry Bonds. Like they were on the right guys. And though back then the Yankees were a laughing stock. The good players didn't want to play for them. The reason I'm bringing it up is if you do that work, you find out a little bit that a championship team coming together is a bit of a cosmic happenstance. Like, it's hard to explain. Three teams had Derek Jeter number one on their board. Three teams had Derek Jeter number one on their board and for some reason passed him. So he's sitting there at pick six so the Yankees could take him. The Yankees literally had a scout sitting outside a left-hander named Jim Pitsley's house in Pennsylvania. That's who they were taking if Houston, Montreal, or Cincinnati take Derek Jeter. Well, there's no dynasty if that happens, right? And so. There's this cosmic explosion of events that brings people together. And so when somebody says to me, to your point, and certainly a lot of people said it in 2017, JJ, oh, they're recreating this. I'm like, calm down, slow down. It is so like we haven't had a team repeat 
since the Yankees three-peated. I believe, forgive me, I, I don't know the other sports quite as well. I think the Tampa Bay Lightning became the first team in any of the four major six. sports Correct. to repeat. It's hard to do. We're watching the Dodgers. Like, they're still really good, but it's hard to do. And this idea of we'll recreate it. And it's like, even true blue Yankee fans, and I, I believe you're one of them. It's I like, we're, we're, it's like, it's like, where's the championships? And I'm like, well, you know, the Dodgers did all this stuff for all these years and they won last year. They hadn't won since 88. They spent a couple of billion dollars also. And they were run by smart guys and they had really talented teams. And they finally won last year. These things, they're hard to win. The fan who is your age or older got spoiled that this, is, that, this is a, that this is an easy thing to, to, to replicate. And I'm telling you, just look at what goes on in every sport, how hard it is to do it one time, much less again. And so the Yankees have been a very successful team that hasn't finished it off. I think they have now gone backward. Absolutely. And they, and they need to make some changes. But when I hear Yankee fans saying, oh, like, what have they given us? I don't know. Would you like to be a fan of the Detroit? You know, you know what I mean? It's like they play in October pretty much every year. They play big games. That's how your heart gets broken, right, is that they play big games. The Mets don't. The Mets have all the advantages the Yankees have. They have a, a better ballpark. They have their own network. They have a thriving, gigantic fan base in a baseball-loving city. Do they, am I missing the playoff appearances that they have? I, I, I mean, I'm not here to lecture Yankee fans to try to have some perspective and enjoy it, but this is, feels like the end of a run. We'll see in the second half. It's been a pretty good run. Thanks so much for doing this. Keep up the good work. Uh, it's a little different now reading you on the iPad or the phone as opposed to picking up the newspaper. But Joel, got me through a whole lot of bus rides, bro. I appreciate that. All right, JJ. Thanks for having me on your show. Best, yeah. and, best, and best of luck with your show. I appreciate that. That's a great Joel Sherman. We're coming right back. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold slurpy drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven. And your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small Slurpee drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that about me going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1725? 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, participating U.S. stores. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. Ton of fun having Joel Sherman on the show. I think that's the first time I've actually had Joel Sherman on the air. I mean, we have a lot of firsts here on New York, New York. Let this sink in for a minute. I saw this. The Mets having a five-run lead and losing. The Yankees having a five-run lead and losing. It is the first day all time in which... The Mets and the Yankees squandered a five-run lead and both lost the ballgame. That's what kind of wonderful Sunday we had here in New York baseball. Hideous on both counts. Still a thousand times worse from a Yankee perspective. Because it was in the ninth inning, because they've had a bunch of these losses to begin with, and where they stand in the American League East and in the wild card race, hundred times worse for the Yankees. Now, we got ourselves a series in the NBA Finals. 
I expected Milwaukee to give you a big effort at home. Milwaukee has played exceptionally well in their building. And you got an off night from Devin Booker. You got a second quarter from Phoenix where they scored 17 points. And if Milwaukee's going to outscore Phoenix 35-17 to 17 in the second quarter, that's problematic. Booker playing like garbage is problematic. And Giannis played like an absolute beast. Second game in a row, Giannis, who had all these questions going into this series about his health and what kind of shape would he be in and how effective would he be. Remember, these were narratives less than a week ago. Giannis has been off the charts the last two games. He's given you 41 points and he's 14 to 23 from the field and dominating inside, playing like a man possessed, using his physical prowess, using his physical strength. Phoenix had no answer for Giannis tonight. They really had no answer for him in game two. The only difference is in game two, Phoenix banged a ton of threes. That was not the case for them aside from the Cam Johnson barrage in the third quarter of this game. I expected Milwaukee to win this game. I laid the four and a half. I love the fact that we got three and a half the other night. I told you I was all over it. I went down with the ship and we made our money back from game number two. This is a series. I think it's a lengthy series. I still think Phoenix is the better team. I don't think Devin Booker is going to play like this moving forward. But I think Milwaukee is a different team at home. Very curious to see what our initial line is going to be for game four. We'll circle back, maybe give you a pick for game four. Also, we have one of my favorite events coming up later on this week. And nobody else really cares about it. I get geeked out by it. That's right. I am still a sucker for the Major League Baseball All-Star game. But that's a conversation we'll have in a little bit. Voicemails, which should be rather interesting considering how we started off with our buddy, our pal, Anthony and Syosset. Again, you're wondering about voicemail number. 917-382-1151. That's where you make your magic. That's how we roll. That's what we do. All right. Second half. Not a pleasant Sunday. Trying to get myself in better spirits. Came close to another hole-in-one despite the fact that my yips on the chipping... Yeah. Give me the heebie-jeebies. Let's hit it. Sorority, lead them off. What's going on, John? This is Stuart from Brooklyn. You know, Rojas food is fucking shitty Met game for sure. You, you, you could see it happening in a slow pattern right in front of your eyes. Using an unproductive Castro for, for two innings when everyone knows out there he hasn't been the same pitcher since June. And then Diaz was out of gas by the, by the second out of, of the ninth. Yeah, he pitched like crap, but, but he should have, he should have dug deep to, to pull out, to pull out of it. And, and he should have never been in that position in the first place. They could easily have gone with, uh, Smith, Castro, and, and Diaz and, 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 uh, and pull out a win or, or, or just, or, or just use Diaz for two innings and have him throw less. Uh, pr- pressure uh, pitches, but Rojas was managing this game today like like we have a, a 13 and a half game lead in the division, not like a, a small two uh, game one. What a fucking disaster! Stewart's ticked off. I feel like I'm going to hear from a whole lot of angry fans tonight. I, I just get the sense that's what it's going to be. I get it, Stu. I agree with the critique. I hated the way Rojas managed this game. I don't like the idea of pushing Edwin Diaz for two innings. I don't like the idea of extending Miguel Castro the way that they did. Smith is throwing well. Let him come in and do the job in the eighth inning. That way you're not in a predicament where you got to push that when Diaz. Now, Diaz is going to be out there. He's got to do a job. 
That's one thing we have to be fair about when it comes to Edwin Diaz. Yeah, I don't like the idea of going two innings with him. You got to be better. That is a sloppy way to end the first half. And let's not lose sight of this, by the way. The Mets scored five runs in the bottom half of the first inning. They did diddly squat after that and put up eight zeros. Yeah, the bullpen failed. Yeah, the manager didn't exactly handle bullpen management properly. I know a whole lot of management in one sentence. That's how we roll around here. Score a couple of runs, and then you take it out of their hands. Met offense after the first inning. Lindor homers, Conforto homers. You don't, you don't see these guys. Got a pound on a bad team. The Mets let them hang around. That's why they lost the game. Who's up next? Hey, John. It's Jake from Charlotte. That was such a bad loss by the Mets today against the Pirates. Up 5 nothing in the first inning, then lose 6-5. to five. That's the story with this team this year, though. They get runners in scoring position. They threaten to bust games open, but they never do it. The, they expect their relievers and they expect their bullpen to win every game for them. Um, it's just a, it's a story of the first half of the Mets. They get runners in scoring position, but they can't bust games open. It's just the shitty way going to the All-Star break. Thanks. Bye. I get that. It is a lousy way to go into the All-Star break. The good news for the Mets is this. Look at the National League East. They're 47 and 40. Who is your legit challenger right now? Is it the Phillies? Because they've won seven out of their last 10. If the Phillies go and make a couple of moves and improve the baseball team, come talk to me. I still think they're too flawed. Atlanta, without Ronnie Acuna, the Atlanta Braves are cooked. To me, the Atlanta Braves are totally finished. The Nationals have kind of tailed off the last few weeks. Two and eight in their last 10 games. They don't score a whole lot of runs. They desperately miss Kyle Schwarber. The Mets have not hit great. I'm not going to fight you on that. They have been a disappointing offensive team. Joel Sherman said it. Records, run differential, it's similar for the Yankees and the Mets. The vibe and the mood is different, though, when you got a four-game lead or a three-and-a-half game lead in the NL East, and you're not eight out like the Yankees are. Drastically, drastically different. All right, what's next? Hey, JJ. Eric down in Florida. Been in uh, Jersey visiting some family for the last week or so. And uh, it was a potential for a great Yankees uh, stretch there. A good chance to go 5-1 and one against two very good teams. And you know what? How dare I have this optimism up five runs in the, top of the, yeah, in the bottom of the ninth against Houston? How dare I have this optimism and watch this team blow it with Herman and then Green just looking like absolute dog shit? But, you know, this isn't even all about that. This is the same shit that we've seen. Seven runs, four off of two home runs. They had 15 fucking walks. Get somebody home. Somebody hit with runners on bases in a more common situation. This is just a story of why this team will not make a run and continue to be a joke in, the, in Major League Baseball. I'm re- I'm, give me my own Jets uh, sorrow. I'm ready for Jets football and whatever pain that brings me this year. It's going to be better than this shit. Love the pod. Keep up the work. Hopefully, uh, call again after the break. See ya. Anytime you have a team with expectations and they fall flat on their face, it's that much worse as a sports fan. You're not going to have expectations with the Jets this year. You had lofty expectations with the Yankees. I understand the narrative about their offense. Yes, they had a ton of walks in this game. And yes, 
They could have scored more runs. They had a five-run lead in the bottom half of the ninth inning. You may be right. To quote my buddy, my pal, the great Billy Joel. You may be right. You have a five-run lead in the ninth inning. Go win the damn game. It's not rocket science. Go get three outs. Get the sweep. Feel great about yourselves going into the All-Star break and win the damn game. They did not do that. Green did not have it. There's no confidence in all this Chapman. And you let Altuve, all people, clown you. Like I said, Aaron Judge, I'm fine with you talking all sorts of shit. I got to laugh out of what you did with the buzzers. But own it, bro. Own it. Because then when the Astros come back and ram it up your rear, you got to eat it. Sorry. You're going to troll them. They're going to troll right back to you. What's fair is fair. Who's next? Hey, this is Robin Edison. You know what? As a Mets fan, I'm really upset. Really upset about Edwin Diaz on the ninth inning. The eighth and ninth inning. And... You know what? It's gross. Oh, what? I'm sorry. We're not allowed to talk about anything but the Yankees. I I get it. So uh, let's just talk about shirtless Altuve. Shirtless Altuve is my favorite thing going into the All-Star break. He may not be in Colorado, but he's shirtless in Houston. Well, I think a whole lot of people were wondering, where's that tattoo Jose Altuve was talking about? Remember the whole buzzers thing when he ran right in after hitting the walk-off against the world Chapman a few years ago in the ALCS? The excuse with the buzzers was, oh, the tattoo. It was something that you don't want the wife to see. Well, I saw the shirt ripped off. Altuve's flexing. I didn't see the damn tattoo. So, listen, I don't want to get into the Astros and their cheating. It is what it is. It's all news as far as I'm concerned. It bothers me. It doesn't sit well with me. But you got to beat them. And I'll give this to the Yankees. They're 4-2 against the Astros this year. But in their two losses, Altuve is at the lunch. And where the Yankees are at, you got five run leads in the ninth inning, you can't lose the game. The Yankees lose this game 3-2. to two. I am having a much different conversation. Many of you are having a much different conversation. Because I think we would have signed on the dotted line for 2-1 against the Houston Astros this weekend. Without question. Not when you have a five-run lead. Situation changes. You may have won the first two. You had a five-run lead in the ninth inning. You have to win that game. Have to. The Yankees now have three losses that are just soul-crushing. Think about it. Angels. Mets. This game. And you could also throw in the Tigers lost on a Friday night. They got walked off on. They're one strike away. They lost a game to Minnesota, if you remember, when Donaldson and Cruz hit missiles against the world as chairman. They've had a lot of bad losses. Not just bad losses where they've played poorly. I'm talking about heartbreaking losses, too. You remember those at the end of the year. Was that up? That up. And when you're on the outside looking in come October, when I am not at the bodega drinking a Dos Equis or, you know, a tall boy Presidente, and I'm sitting at home watching the A's and the Rays in the wildcard game and the Red Sox winning the AL East, I'll remember why. I'll remember why. Two left. So let's finish strong. What do we got? What's up, JJ? First time caller. This is Dave in Chicago originally from Providence. 
got to be honest with you, I was not a fan of yours when I occasionally used to stream you. I'm a fan out here in Chi-Town. New York guy, sure, but Dolphins fan, didn't get that. Hughes guy, I'm a Hoya myself, so we're button heads there. But I came around the last couple months listening to you on New York, New York. You actually called out my uncle's song, Hearts on Fire. That's my mother's brother. He's the artist that originally won me over. Love the gambling banter. We're on the same page uh, with the Yanks, so I can appreciate where you're coming from. Uh, dominating our childhood. I'm also a 1988-born guy, so feel you there. Speaking of the Yankees, I've basically given up on them. Just disgusting to watch. Literally make me sick now. Actually reminds me a lot of being a Giants fan the last several seasons with them basically beating themselves and finding ways to lose games they should win. Anyway, you can't give me hope for the Yanks. Tell me as a Rangers and Giants fan who I should be more excited about come September and October since I probably won't be watching the Bombers. Love you, JJ. Thanks. Wow. You've come around full circle. If I can change and you can change and everybody could change. A whole lot of Rocky Four were thrown into this equation. Who would I be most excited about in September? Rangers or Giants? I think the Rangers, because of their young talent and the new head coach, have a higher ceiling. But September, you're going to be thinking football optimism, right? So in September, it's going to be the Giants. I would say by November, that answer will change to the Rangers pretty quickly. Last, but certainly not least, who's on the horn? Hi, JJ. This is Nancy from Queens. I was surprised and disappointed to hear that you, too, are an apologist for Jacob DeGrom's decision not to appear in the All-Star game, especially since you mentioned how much you look forward to it each year. I heard the buzz that he didn't want to go, and the Mets did all they could to help him in avoiding this by planning his start on Sunday. But the baseball guards decided a rain out would negate that happening, and he would be available to pitch. He is undoubtedly the best pitcher in the sport today. Heck, people are even saying that he's the best ever. That he cannot show up there and pitch one inning, probably only nine pitches anyway, is just a lousy way to behave for his sport. The All-Star game is a part of that sport, and he should be proud and honored to be a part of it. And fans deserve to see the best out there. He is also the only Met to be selected and adds to making it a callous decision on his part. Do they still get players' bonuses if they are selected for the All-Star game? I know some players used to have it written into their contracts. Would love to know if he had such a clause. I can remember years ago A-Rod being lambasted for leaving the dugout early in one game. Well, at least he showed up. This is just a low-class decision on his part in my mind. Sorry, Jacob. You want to be the best? Then act like it. Take care. Bye-bye. That is a heated, passionate voicemail, and I couldn't disagree more. To me, that's a personal choice. Jacob DeGrom had an injury earlier this year. He's been in the All-Star game a bunch. He don't want to go to Colorado. He don't want to play in the game. That's his choice. That's his choice. Plenty of guys have done it. It's not like Jacob DeGrom has gone through this year unscathed without an injury. There have been a couple of scares. He wants to take care of his overall well-being. I would say 95 to 98% of Mets fans are going to be siding with Jake on this one. And now you got Taiwan Walker pitching in the game, who is probably a lot more excited to go to Jake. I know he's having a great year. I know there have been great moments in the All-Star game. I remember Pedro striking out all those what-it-up National League players, Sosa, McGuire, just to name a few. Bonds was awesome. But I bet you there were plenty of other years where Pedro, after that, was like, yeah, I've been there. Done that. My body's aching. I'm not going this year. That's a personal choice. Now, I love the All-Star game. Don't get me wrong. 
I will be into it on Tuesday night. I always bet the American League. I always root for the American League. It's kind of something that's been ingrained in me as a kid. Now, I hate the other All-Star games. Pro Bowl, won't watch a minute. NHL All-Star game, won't watch a minute. NBA All-Star game, I normally watch because there's nothing going on. It's been a little bit better the last few years. But for a good majority of the last 10 years, the NBA All-Star game has been a joke. Like, I remember Jordan, Kobe, those were vintage NBA All-Star games of my childhood. Like, five or six years ago, I was like, are you kidding me with these games? So them changing the rules and mating, you know, making it more competitive, good thing. Baseball All-Star game is my favorite. Why? You can't fake it. Defense. Tackling. You know, like in football and basketball, you're not going to go balls to the wall playing defense. Baseball, you can't fake hit 98 miles an hour. I'm sorry. You just can't. Hitting a baseball, you still got to hit a country mile. You got to square it up the whole deal. It's my favorite exhibition of the bunch. I will be dialed in. I will bet the American League. I will root like crazy. The American League in the All-Star Games has been one of the best bets in sports over the last 25 years. No exaggeration. Look at the numbers. The American League wins the All-Star Game almost every single year. From 1997 until 2010, the National League did not win an All-Star Game. Not one. Now, I believe they won in 2010. I want to say they won in 11 and 12. I think they had a three-year run, and the American League has basically run amok ever since. They're on another one of those incredible streaks. I will keep riding that streak. So, yes. This may be a little bit of a vice. You may say it's a degenerate type of action. I own it. I love betting the All-Star game. And I'll also be betting the Home Run Derby. And on FanDuel Sportsbook, you can find all this good stuff. And you got to bet the Derby. See, I do a pool normally with the great Eagle Eye Picks, who will be on this podcast sooner rather than later. One of the best handicappers in America, best friend of mine, great guy. And for years, we would just say, all right, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks ahead. And we would draft guys. We'd go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He'd have four, I'd have four, and then we'd go from there. But if you're wondering about the home run derby odds, and you will have Otani in the home run derby, you will have Pete Alonso trying to repeat. Remember, there was no derby last year because of COVID. So Pete Alonso won it, what was it, two years ago? I don't even remember what the All-Star game was. I think it was in Cleveland. I don't, even, I don't even remember. Yeah, it was in Cleveland. CC's last year. Otani plus 230. Gallo, who's getting a whole lot of action, is at plus 370. Alonzo, 525. Olsen, 525. Sal Perez, plus 825. Story, 9-1. Soto, almost 10-1. And Trey Mancini, 15-1 odds. If I had to play somebody to win the home run derby, Matt Olson would be my guy. Matt Olson, who hits bombs. I think he's got a swing that's tailor-made for the home run derby. That's going to be my choice. And they got all sorts of matchups. I'm looking at them now. Otani versus Gallo. Alonzo versus Olson. Oh, they have it like where you can take them in the final, too. I mean, this is terrific. This is terrific. So I'm going to have to iron out what I'm doing with all the matchups because, honestly, a lot of this stuff came up my way on the FanDuel Sportsbook app, and I'm, like, surprised by it. 
I will be playing Matt Olson, though. American League on Tuesday night. Lock it in. Olsen plus 575. Yeah, we're going to have some fun beacon a home run derby. Hopefully, I'll kick Eagle Eye's ass when we do all this. I'll let you know how the draft goes. We'll tweet it out. Before we say goodbye, I think it's Jeff Money time. Jeff Money! Let's hear it, baby. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. Now, we know it's the all-star break, but we got a couple of uh, little fun bets. I'm not going to count towards my records, but as far as the tomorrow, we got the all-star derby on the home run derby going on. Uh, it'll be for July uh, 12th, Monday. I'm going to take, I'm going to go with value here. I'm going to, even though it's probably tough, but I'm going to go with Pete Alonzo. Now, he won it uh, before. You're getting uh, plus, you're getting basically four to one. You're getting plus 400. So I'm going to go with Pete Alonzo for the home run derby. And for the all-star game on Tuesday, the 12th, you know, it's basically a flip of the coin, but I'm a National League, so I say we're going to go with the National League minus the 105. As far as the NBA, we know that'll be for, uh, for Wednesday, so I'll give you my pick on the uh, Tuesday show. So, all right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Jeff Money, heads up on Tuesday night, going against the trends, going against the juju. Do so at your own risk, my man. Fading the American League in the All-Star game, trust me on this, has not been profitable. We will have a Tuesday show. Game four line, in case you're wondering, Milwaukee opened at three and a half. It's now at four. We'll save the pick for Tuesday. Fellas, outstanding job. And I would be remiss if I didn't give my guy, Saruti, an opportunity to pound his chest a little bit. First of all, Saruti is a gigantic soccer guy to begin with. And Saruti and I get along. So he loved my sisters. They play competitive soccer. They loved it. Me, on the other hand, I never got the soccer gene. But Saruti, I am happy Forza Italia, my nice. man. Congrats. There we go. Thank you. Yeah, big day. Big day. My last name is Saruti, so you know I'm a Paisan here. We got everybody's rooting for the Azuri, and it was an unbelievable final, JJ. I mean, first off, England versus Italy, just the two countries. It's, it's a massive matchup for, you know, what is really... It's become almost like a World Cup-like deal, especially, obviously, in, in Europe. It's unbelievable. And Italy, to win in PKs, I mean, there is nothing as heartbreaking, as anxiety-inducing... Um, you know, for the neutral, it's fun, but for someone who actually has a rooting interest, PKs are absolutely dreadful and it was awful, but the PK gods have been lucky Italy. They won the world cup in 2006 on PKs. They just beat Spain in PKs in the semifinal and then they beat England in PKs in the final. And it was hundred percent deserved. They were the better team. Now I w- England, I think we're the more talented team. England has maybe the most talented roster in the world, but you'd like this. You would love this Italian team, JJ. I mean, they're all, they almost have like a Knicks vibe to them and that they're not super talented. Now they're, they're probably more talented than this Knicks squad. But they just play but hard, man. And, and they play, like. yep. teams that play hard, teams that like totally. one another. They're easy to root for. It's easy to feed off of. The only thing that was missing, Saruti, I could have used you in like Howard Beach. And I could have used you maybe in Little Italy. Because I saw some videos that were circulating over the Wild. internet, dude. It was a vibe, bro. You would have fit right in, waving. Were you waving the Italian flag at the Saruti house? I hope so. No, but I, I was screaming so much that I, I, my voice, I don't know if you can tell, my voice is terrible right now. I've been yelling all day. I've been trying to drink some water, but it was a very, very great day in the Saruti household. And uh, man, I'm telling you, because this is a team that missed the World Cup in 2018 and to the, in the very next tournament to win it with, you know, a mixture of old and young guys, man. Talk about your highs and your lows. It was an unbelievable run for this Italian team. I'm just so happy for those guys. So. At least somebody had a good night. Somebody had a good day. I'm sorry. Sorry to the Yankee fans, I know, and and the Met fans, but. And the Met fans. Somebody had a good day, and his name is Steve Cerruti, Forza Italia. Job well done, brother. Outstanding job by the boys. 
Outstanding job by everybody involved. We're back Tuesday night. Getting you ready for the finals. All-Star Game will be in the books. And hopefully I have a little extra loot in my pocket. JJ out. You good, everybody. <laughs>